COVID-19 patients need your help. If you fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to Napa Cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 107 of Confessions of a Marketer, B2B is really P2P. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Carmen Perry is back in to talk about the notion that B2B is really P2P. We'll get to that in a moment. Next time, John McDonald on optimization. Soon we'll have Chris Stefanik on storytelling, Curie Masters on marketing and Amazon. Another session on optimization with Justin Christensen, plus Nathan Hirsch on finding the right freelancers and lots more in store. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Okay, back to Carmen Perry. Carmen thinks that, from a tactical perspective, although B2B is different, people want consumer-like digital experiences in B2B. Plus, Carmen shares some insights on working with an agency and says the secret to success is taking advice, listening. So let's get to it. Do you think B2B has changed the approach has changed in the last decade or so? Well, there's lots of evidence out there suggests has. I mean, we know that the buying group has continues to increase in, in size. The B2B buying decision has become more and more a team sport, as it were. Uh, we know uh, that the dynamics uh, in terms of the information parity between buyer and seller, and we know that that has changed. We know uh, even further that that there's more and more uh, millennials are a big part of the B2B buying process, and that's only going to incredibly accelerate over the next two to, to three years. So, yeah, the world of B2B buying has changed dramatically in that the people that are buying come from a different place and have a different level of expectations in their lives about how uh, businesses ought to operate. And the environment is such that you can't get as much done in a single golf game as you used to, you know? <laughs> you know, two people could go out and have a game of golf and all of a sudden something happened on the other end of that. And, you know, it's just not that simple. Right. B2B is more complex than, a, you know, most consumer transactions. But I have talked to a number of people on this podcast about approaching B2B more in the way that 
consumer marketing happens, where you're talking to another person. You're not talking to a business. You're not talking to this monolith. You're talking to another human being. And people make decisions, even big ones, even multi-year software deals happen based on some visceral reactions that they have to a brand. Do you agree with that? Well, I certainly agree that B2B is really P2P. Like it's really people to people at the end yeah. of the day that there's no business that actually buys anything. But it's interesting because then, of course, the funnel approach, treating people as almost they're nameless and faceless yeah. until they have budget, authority, need, and timeline. And then, of course, then they're, they're worth talking to. I mean, that's treating people as, as anonymously as you possibly can um, from a, this notion of this B2B not being as human as B2C. I think there's a couple of things packed into your comment. I mean, uh, from a very tactical level, I hear that comment a lot when it comes to e-commerce as an example. They'll say that people expect online experiences, e-commerce experiences that are more like what they experience from a B2C perspective as their deal in a B2B buying environment. And I think that's somewhat true, but at the same time, people are smart. Like, you can have a car for work that you drive for work. Like, let's say you have a utility truck because you're a linesman at the at a power company, and then but you drove your BMW 3 Series to work that day or something. I don't know. Yeah. Those are very different vehicles that clearly do very different things and have very different features, but they kind of have a core way of operating that's the same. You know, the pedals on the right, yeah. <laughs> there's a steering wheel, all those things. That's the way I look at the digital experiences, kind of similarities between B2C and B2B. You know, all those fundamentals ought to be the same. It ought to be a familiar way of navigating this world. Well, at the same time, it needs to be reflective of the fact that it needs to do something different. I mean, it may need to issue a purchase order versus a, um, a credit card transaction, as an example. Or it's a very simplistic perspective, but you see my point. Yeah, yeah. But beyond that, there certainly is a requirement for us to understand that that B2B buying process is inherently a human one. And if we do believe that, then we ought to get those humans connecting with each other earlier on in the sales process, before that, maybe even that sales process even begins, so that we can actually have a hope of impacting it. Yeah. Because otherwise, the longer that sales process goes without that relationship having been forged, our ability to impact it goes dramatically down by the second. How do you think it's going to transform? You kind of referenced it a little bit, but how do you think B2B marketing will transform in the next five years? Well... That remains to be seen, (laughs) (laughs) of course, because I do think even the most laggard brands are seeing that they no longer kind of have the imperative to wait and see. Like They they don't have that luxury any longer. Even the the most laggard brands know that they they need to move. So I think what we're seeing now is certainly a wave of investment in new foundational, more digital infrastructure to power the process of finding and serving customers. I think you're going to continue to see these systems continue to be more integrated, and we're going to have an expectation that a lot of the more transactional sides of these B2B relationships ought to be able to be handled in a digital way. Yeah. You know, That's in some ways almost table stakes now in terms of, of where we see it going. 
Yeah, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about working with an agency. What has worked for you in your relationship with your clients? And what do you think are the best practices for a client working with an agency? That might be the toughest question you could ask in some way. (laughs) I will say this. I guess I'm in the business of giving advice every day. Sure. So then every once in a while, I find myself in the business of receiving it. (laughs) (laughs) So you think of yourself as a pretty smart marketer when you own a marketing agency. I don't mind saying, you know, your your ego uh, sometimes can't come through the door. So when you're looking at the evolution of your agency, you hold that very personally. You think that, of course, you're the one that can make the decisions, all the strategic decisions about where the company ought to go. Uh, well, we were looking uh, several years back at the evolution of Kula Partners as an agency, and we had had an awful lot of success in serving manufacturing clients, but we were not a manufacturing-focused agency at the time. And we were exploring a wide number of possible positionings as a firm, ways that we might evolve uh, into uh, having a a different type of horizontal focus and various different vertical positionings as well that we explored. And I came to a point where I'm like, you know what, I can't read the soup label from inside the can. I can't see it. So we hired an agency consultant to work with on answering this question. Answer the very question that I answer for my customers every day. In that moment, I become a client. And I like to think, so I guess maybe it's too much self-reference criteria, but I think the thing that the secret of success for a client working with an agency isn't much different than the secret of success for me working with that agency consultant, which was to say, I took the advice. I listened. I let him lead the engagement. I didn't hire somebody to try to validate an answer that I thought I already had. Right. I was quite open to being, to not having the answer and to needing the assistance. I kind of sometimes wonder, you know, I think anybody that's spent any time in agency land would, would say that they, they sometimes wonder about why um, clients hire you for strategic insight and advice. And then in some ways, what they're just hoping for you to do is validate some of their preconceived notions about what they ought to be doing already. Right. Your story reminds me of that line about being an attorney. An attorney who represents himself has an idiot for a client, right? Yeah, exactly right. I got to say, the only mistake I would say we made in uh, that agency uh, consultant hiring was not doing it sooner. If I had to uh, pat myself on the back for something, it would be, I think I was a pretty good client there. And uh, I'd be willing to put you in touch with him and uh, get him to either validate that or not. But I, I really felt like I, I tried to be the client I would want to show up here. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's interesting. Did that teach you anything as sitting there in meetings as a client? Did that help you in meetings when you're working with your clients? Oh, man, I wish I could say it did. <laughs> well, I, can't, I come with so much baggage in the agency world, you know, that would be informing my thinking and even why I would have approached that relationship the way I did. I just don't know that I think anybody, you know, not a lot of people coming with that much baggage. I, I don't want to sound uh, like I uh, dislike clients in any way because I find that uh, <laughs> I don't. And mo- the vast majority of folks we work with are fantastic and uh, take counsel well and um, I guess understand that they're hiring experts for a reason. So uh, that's always a good thing. 
Yeah. Well, Carmen, this was great. Thanks for joining me all the way up in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Appreciate you being here. Mark, an absolute pleasure. Please come up and visit us here at the uh, in the City on the Sea, as uh, the famed uh, Canadian folk singer Stan Rogers called it. It's, uh, it's a lovely place. I will. I, they, there used to be a fast ferry, but I don't think there is anymore from Boston. Oh, man, this is the intersection of my politics and uh, my <laughs> background, because that has been the... Uh, the ferry between the, the U.S. and uh, Nova Scotia has been quite a source of uh, a political discourse in our province for the last number of years. So were you on a local uh, news segment right now, you'd have just hit the political hot-button topic. Oh, dear. So I would just suggest flying yeah. and, uh, and then enjoy it from there. Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right, next time, John McDonald on optimization, so stay with us. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2019. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. Stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.